0: Section 30 of Expository Thoughts on the Gospel of St. Luke, Volume 2, by J. C. Ryle. Chapter 16, Verses 1 to 12. Parable of the Unjust Steward. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Luke, Chapter 16, Verses 1 to 12. And he said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man, which had a steward, and the same was accused to him, that he had wasted his goods. And he called him, and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that, when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses." So he called every one of his lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou to my lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that, when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If, therefore, ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The passage we have now read is a difficult one. There are knots in it which perhaps will never be untied until the Lord comes again. We might reasonably expect that a book written by inspiration, as the Bible is, would contain things hard to be understood. The fault lies not in the book, but in our own feeble understandings. If we learn nothing else from the passage before us, let us learn humility. Let us beware, in the first place, that we do not draw from these verses lessons which they were never meant to teach. The steward, whom our Lord describes, is not set before us as a pattern of morality. He is distinctly called the unjust steward. The Lord Jesus never meant to sanction dishonesty and unfair dealing between man and man. This steward cheated his master, and broke the eighth commandment his master was struck with his cunning and forethought when he heard of it, and commended him as a shrewd and far-seeing man. But there is no proof that his master was pleased with his conduct. Above all, there is not a word to show that the man was praised by Christ. In short, in his treatment of his master, the steward is a beacon to be avoided, and not a pattern to be followed. The caution, now laid down, is very necessary, commercial dishonesty is unhappily very common in these latter days fair dealing between man and man is increasingly rare men do things in the way of business which will not stand the test of the bible in making haste to be rich thousands are continually committing actions which are not strictly innocent proverbs chapter twenty eight verse twenty sharpness and smartness in bargaining and buying and selling and pushing trade are often covering over things that ought not to be. The generation of the unjust steward is still a very large one. Let us not forget this. Whenever we do to others what we would not like others to do to us, we may be sure, whatever the world may say, that we are wrong in the sight of Christ. Let us observe, in the second place, that one principal lesson of the parable before us is the wisdom of providing against coming evil the conduct of the unjust steward when he received notice to quit his place was undeniably dexterous and politic dishonest as he was in striking off from the bills of debtors anything that was due to his master he certainly by doing so made for himself friends wicked as he was he had an eye to the future disgraceful as his measures were he provided well for himself he did not sit still in idleness and see himself reduced to poverty without a struggle he schemed and planned and contrived and boldly carried his plans into execution and the result was that when he lost one home he secured another what a striking contrast between the steward's conduct about his earthly prospects and the conduct of most men about their souls in this general point of view and in this only the steward sets us all an example which we should do well to follow like him we should look far forward to things to come like him we should provide against that day when we shall have to leave our present habitation like him we should secure a house in heaven which may be our home when we put off our earthly tabernacle of the body second corinthians chapter five verse one like him we should use all means to provide for ourselves everlasting habitations the parable in this point of view is deeply instructive it may well raise within us great searchings of heart the diligence of worldly men about the things of time should put to shame the coldness of professing christians about the things of eternity the zeal and pertinacity of men of business encompassing sea and land to get earthly treasures may well reprove the slackness and indolence of believers about treasures in heaven the words of our lord are indeed weighty and solemn the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light may these words sink into our hearts and bear fruit in our lives let us notice lastly in this passage the remarkable expressions which our lord uses about little things in close connection with the parable of the unjust steward we read that he said he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much our lord here teaches us the great importance of strict faithfulness about little things he guards us against supposing that such conduct about money as that of the unjust steward ought ever to be considered a light and trifling thing among Christians. He would have us know that little things are the best test of character and that unfaithfulness about little things is the symptom of a bad state of heart. He did not mean, of course, that honesty about money can justify our souls or put away sin, but he did mean that dishonesty about money is a sure sign of a heart not being right in the sight of God. The man who is not dealing honestly with the gold and silver of this world can never be one who has true riches in heaven. If ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? The doctrine laid down by our Lord in this place deserves most serious consideration in the present day. An idea appears to prevail in some men's minds that true religion may be separated from common honesty and that soundness about matters of doctrine may cover over swindling and cheating in matters of practice. Against this wretched idea our Lord's words were a plain protest. Against this idea let us watch and be on our guard. Let us contend earnestly for the glorious doctrines of salvation by grace and justification by faith. But let us never allow ourselves to suppose that true religion sanctifies any trifling with the second table of the law. Let us never forget for a moment that true faith will always be known by its fruits. We may be very sure that where there is no honesty, there is no grace. Notes Luke chapter 16 verses 1 to 12 Verse 1 And he said to his disciples The parable of the unjust steward is notoriously full of difficulties. The curious diversity of the explanations of it which have been given is sufficient to prove this. Those who wish to examine some of these explanations fully will find them in Trench on Parables i can only briefly refer to them pierce thinks that the rich man means god and that every man is his steward schleiermacher thinks that the rich man represents the romans the steward the publicans and the debtor the jewish nation and that our lord's object was to vindicate the publicans and prove their kindness to their countrymen anselm and others think that the rich man means God, and the steward all true penitents, and that the steward's lowering the bills represents the first actions of repentance and charity. Vitringa thinks that the rich man means God, and the steward, the Pharisees, that the accusation against the steward means the charge of the prophets and of Christ, and that the lowering of the bills means the effort made by the Pharisees to retain their position by lowering the standards of righteousness. Jerome records an opinion ascribed to Theophilus, that the unjust steward is the apostle paul who was thrust out of judaism and then made himself friends by preaching the gospel godentius bishop of brescia and olshausen think that the unjust steward is the devil and the creditors whom he makes his friends mankind some have thought that the unjust steward represents pontius pilate or judas iscariot many think that the parable is nothing more than an earnest exhortation to liberal almsgiving this is the view of Arrhenius, Augustine, Athanasius, Theophylact, Erasmus, Calvin, and Luther. Luther says, It is a sermon on good works, and especially against Erebus, that men abuse not wealth, but therewith help poor and needy people. I shall not discuss these opinions. I will only say that I cannot assent to any of them. Some seem to me very fanciful. All seem to me more or less untenable and defective. My own opinion shall be summed up in a few general remarks. a. In interpreting this parable we should carefully observe to whom it was addressed. It was not spoken to the scribes and Pharisees like the last three parables, but to the disciples. They had heard a lesson to the proud and self-righteous. Now let them hear a lesson for themselves. b. The connection between the parable of the unjust steward and that of the prodigal son, which it immediately follows, is probably something of this kind. The disciples had heard of one who sinned by wasting money. They should now hear of one who sinned by dishonesty. They had heard of one who by carelessness squandered all his property and lost all his friends. Let them now hear of one who, by cunning management of money, made friends and secured himself a home. They had heard of the wickedness of riotous living. Let them now hear of another kind of wickedness, no less abominable in God's sight—dishonesty, cheating, and fraud. They had heard the sins of the pharisees denounced and exposed let them now hear an exposure of the sins of impenitent and extortionate publicans they had heard what the pharisees ought to do to rejoice at the conversion of sinners now let them hear what the publicans ought to do to be faithful in money matters and to make themselves friends by a right use of their wealth these or some of them appear to me the connecting links between the parable before us and the preceding chapter it looks to me like a caution to our Lord's disciples. They were not to suppose that all publicans were right in the Lord's eyes, or that the sins of publicans were not noticed by Him, as well as the sins of Pharisees. c. The rich man and the steward and the debtors do not appear to me to be allegorical persons. I regard them as actors in the story which our Lord is telling, but I cannot think that they were intended to represent any particular persons. d the great lessons which the parable is intended to convey appear to me to be three the first is the wisdom of providing against the future this is taught first by the story of a rich man's steward who by a wicked contrivance secured himself a home when he lost his office if a wicked man can do this for an earthly home and in a wicked way how much more ought a righteous man to provide for himself a heavenly home in a lawful way the second lesson is the importance of using money rightly by prudent management of money, however dishonest, the unjust steward made himself friends. Let the disciples follow his example, but in an honest and righteous manner. The third lesson is the importance of faithfulness in the least affairs of business as a test of character. The dishonesty of the steward showed plainly in the state of his heart. Let the disciples remember that unfaithfulness in money transactions is a sure evidence of a rotten state of soul the cheating publican who persevered in dishonesty, and the self-righteous Pharisee who trusted in his own goodness, were both alike in one respect. They were both unfit for the kingdom of God. A Steward The steward in this parable seems to have been an agent who received his master's rents, which were paid in kind and not in money, and through whose hands all his master's receipts passed. Was Accused the word so translated is found only in this place in the New Testament. It is the root of the word devil. The word devil means accuser. It does not, however, mean in this place that the steward was falsely accused. On the contrary, his own language seems clearly to show that he felt the accusation to be just, and incapable of refutation. Verse 2. Thou mayest be. The expression so rendered means literally, thou wilt not be able to be steward any longer it is impossible that thou canst be i cannot allow thee verse four i am resolved the greek word so translated means literally i have known i know what i will do they may receive me let it be noted that the expression they is here used generally and indefinitely we are not told to whom it is applied precisely the same expression will be found in the ninth verse verse six a hundred fifty the dishonesty of the steward we should observe consisted in this he struck off part of what was due to his master he remitted debts which were lawfully due to his lord instead of attending to his employer's interest he robbed him and made a present to his debtors his master apparently had no means of checking this dishonesty if his steward had told him that a debtor only owed him one-half or one-fifth of his real debt he could apparently only take it for granted that the statement was correct of oil we should remember that olive oil was largely used in eastern countries and formed a large portion of the annual produce of the land verse eight the lord commended let it be always noted in reading this parable that the expression lord here does not mean the lord jesus christ it is the master or lord of the unjust steward he saw the result of the steward's schemes in his reception at his creditor's houses it is not however quite clear that he saw that he himself had been cheated compare with this expression the words of david men will praise thee when thou doest well unto thyself psalm 49 verse 18 perhaps it is well to mention here that some think the dealings of the steward with his lord's debtors were not really so dishonest and fraudulent as they appear to us in the present day they say that the steward had a plenary power to remit or abate part of the debts due to his master, and that he simply exercised this power at a time when it very much promoted his own interests. If this explanation were true it would certainly account for the absence of angry expressions on the part of the master. But it is an explanation which is slenderly supported. THE UNJUST STEWARD The Greek words here are remarkable. They mean literally, the steward of unrighteousness, the expression translated the unjust judge in Luke chapter eighteen verse six is precisely similar done wisely the word translated wisely might have been better rendered prudently. The wisdom commended in the steward is wisdom in attaining to his own interests. It is not wisdom unto salvation. The Greek adjective of the adverb wisely is the very word that is used in the Septuagint about the serpent in Genesis chapter three verse one. He was more subtle than all the beasts children of the world this expression means worldly people and the opposite expression children of light means godly people people who follow the light and walk in the light see john chapter 12 verse 36 ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 compare also luke chapter 7 verse 35 in their generation wiser the meaning of this expression is the children of this world are wiser towards their generation, that is, in that which relates to this world, than the children of light are towards their generation, that is, in what relates to the kingdom of God. It might even be rendered more closely, the children of this world are wiser toward their own generation, that is, in their intercourse with worldly people like themselves, than the children of the light are in their intercourse with their own brethren. Verse 9 make to yourself friends, etc. The meaning of this saying of our lords is often much misunderstood. The true sense of it, I believe, to be as follows, make to yourself friends with your money by right use of it, in order that when ye die ye may be received into everlasting habitations. Friends. This question is often raised, who these friends are, whom we are to make in life, and to be received by in death, some have thought that the three persons of the Trinity are intended, some the angels, and some the people to whom our money has done good. I cannot assent to any of these three views. The expression appears to me to be general and indefinite, and to be borrowed from the conduct of the unjust steward, in order to make the lesson more pointed. The meaning seems to me to be no more than this. Use your money with an eye to the future, as the steward did his. Spend your money in such a way that your expenditure shall be a friend to you, and not a witness against you in another world the mammon of unrighteousness this is a very remarkable expression it means riches but why riches are so called in this chapter and nowhere else in the bible we do not know the word mammon is syriac or according to augustine punic it means all are agreed riches or gain some think that it was a name given to the god of riches but this is questionable the expression, riches of unrighteousness, is very peculiar. Some think that our Lord meant, riches acquired unrighteously, like treasures of wickedness, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. Some think that He meant, riches which in the nature of things can never be got without some unrighteousness of sin. Some think that He meant, uncertain, unstable riches. This last, compared with the expression, true riches, in the eleventh verse, appears most likely to be the true meaning. Pierce quotes in support of this view John chapter seven verse eighteen and second thessalonians chapter two verse twelve compare first timothy chapter six verse seventeen when ye fail this expression evidently means when ye die it is very peculiar and the greek word is only found in this sense here it is the root of our english word eclipse they may receive you I cannot believe that this expression refers either to the Trinity, the angels, or the persons whom we have helped with our money. I regard it as indefinite and signifying only, Ye may be received. The same sort of expression is found in Matthew chapter one verse twenty three, chapter five verse fifteen, Luke chapter twelve verse twenty, Acts chapter seven verse six, First Thessalonians chapter five verse three, Revelation chapter six verse four. Everlasting habitations this expression must evidently mean heaven. The word translated habitations is translated tabernacles in every other place where it is found in the New Testament. In leaving this verse, I will mention two cautions which should always be remembered in interpreting it. On the one hand, let us beware of supposing that by any use of money we can purchase to ourselves God's favor and the pardon of our sins. Heaven is not to be bought. Any such interpretation of this verse is most unscriptural. On the other hand let us beware of shutting our eyes against the doctrine which this verse unmistakably contains that doctrine plainly is that a right use of our money in this world from right motives will be for our benefit in the world to come it will not justify us it will not bear the severity of god's judgment any more than other good works but it shall be an evidence of our grace which shall befriend our souls there is such a thing as laying up treasure in heaven and laying up a good foundation against the time to come matthew chapter six verse twenty first timothy chapter six verse nineteen verse ten faithful least much this verse seems to be used in a proverbial way it is an acknowledged truth that a man's conduct in little things is a sure test of what he is likely to do in great things and that when a man is unfaithful in small matters we do not expect him to be faithful in important ones THE APPLICATION OF THIS PRINCIPLE IS MADE IN THE TWO FOLLOWING VERSES. VERSE 11 IF THEREFORE NOT BEEN FAITHFUL The argument in this and the following verse is one and the same, though the expressions are different. The unrighteous mammon here means money, the true riches means treasure in heaven. The doctrine is that he who is dishonest and unfaithful in the discharge of his duties on earth must not expect to have heavenly treasure or to be saved. Verse 12. That which is another man's. The argument in this verse is like that of the preceding one. Money is called that which is another man's because it passes from one to another and is never our own long. Eternal life is called that which is your own because it is the only property which endures for ever. Everything else that we have is only a loan from God and may be withdrawn any day. Grace and peace once given are an everlasting possession. Once ours, they are ours to all eternity. End of section 30